in our sermons here at Good Shepherd. We've been going slowly through the Lord's Prayer, and today we're, we're looking at the last of its six requests or petitions. The whole of the Lord's Prayer is there on the page, but our second Bible reading today is just one, that one final petition in Matthew 6, verse 13, which I will read now as our second Bible reading just below the song we've just sung. Matthew 6, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's bow our heads and pray for God's Spirit to do his life-transforming work. In John chapter 14, Jesus says to his disciples, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Lord Jesus, we want to claim that generous promise this morning. We ask that you would give us minds that understand your word and hearts that receive it gladly. Please do these things so that you may bring glory to the Father. Amen. During this series on the Lord's Prayer, one big theme has emerged, which is the contrast between God's greatness and our lowliness. The Lord's Prayer calls on us to prioritize God's name, his kingdom, and his will over our own reputation, our own mini-empire, and our own will. It calls on us to seek our daily bread from God. It calls on us to go to him for the forgiveness he offers. It's humbling to recognize our lowliness and neediness in comparison with God's greatness and self-sufficiency. But throughout our time in the Lord's Prayer, we've seen that it's good for us to settle in to our rightful place with God in his rightful place. The creator and sustainer of the universe can be trusted to know what's best and do what is best. It's good to live a life that lines up with God and his purposes instead of living a life of rebellion against him. In the last petition of the Lord's Prayer, the contrast between God's greatness and our lowliness is clearer than ever. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you pray that petition sincerely, it will humble you. It will reveal yet more loneliness and neediness in your life. The sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer teaches us that temptation is dangerous and we are vulnerable. That's why we need to pray for help from above. And God will hear our prayer and he will help us. He'll help his saved people, his lowly people, arrive at our eternal destination where God in his greatness will come alongside us to live with us forever. Jesus tells us to pray for two kinds of help. First, avoidance, and then deliverance. 
We'll look at each of those divine interventions, and that will take us through to the end of the sermon. Let's begin then with the first divine intervention, avoidance. Avoidance. Jesus tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation. One issue we need to think about before we get on to anything else is how this prayer fits with James chapter 1, verse 13, which says, God does not tempt anyone. If God doesn't tempt anyone, how can he lead someone into temptation? The answer is that leading someone into temptation isn't the same as tempting them. For example, a police chief might need to send a vice squad officer into a situation where the officer may well be tempted with a bribe of some kind. But sending someone into that situation is very different from actually doing the bribing. So there's no contradiction with James 1 verse 13. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're asking God to spare us the experience of temptation as far as possible. We can't expect to avoid all temptation in this fallen world. Temptations are everywhere. But we can ask God to help us avoid as many temptations as possible. Lead us not into temptation is a prayer that sees God as the shepherd and overseer of our souls, just as it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. God leads his people. He leads us lovingly. And so it makes sense to ask him to steer us away from temptation as we journey through our day and through our lives. But I wonder if it sounds a little cowardly to you, lead us not into temptation. Wouldn't it be better, you might be thinking, to pray for strength so that we can deal with any temptation we come across, rather like Batman and Robin, marching confidently up to bad guys and dispatching them with a pow and a bam and a splat. We certainly can overcome temptation with God's help, and we'll think more about that in the second half of the sermon. But it's still wise to avoid temptation battles where possible. Listen to Proverbs 22, verse 3. It says, A wise person sees danger and takes refuge. But the simple keep going and suffer for it. A wise person sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. So it's not cowardly if you're a surfer to avoid surfing in shark-infested waters. It's wise. And it's not cowardly if you're a hiker to avoid hiking in areas overrun by grizzly bears. It's wise. Temptations are like sharks or eight-foot-tall bears. They're dangerous. Where possible, it's best to avoid them. According to the book of James, temptation is dangerous because it can ultimately lead to death, meaning spiritual death, eternal banishment from God. James chapter 1 sets out the four links of a deadly chain. Temptation, desire, sin, and death. Listen to James 1 verses 14 and 15. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, 
brings forth death. What that means is that temptation has the effect of stirring up our own evil desire. That desire then leads to sin, and if sin takes root and grows and is never cut out, it leads to death. Eternal destruction in the place Jesus calls hell. The Bible says we all have a sinful nature, and it doesn't stop operating when a person becomes a Christian. It remains active throughout our time in this current world. So there's an evil part of us that wants to be tempted. There's a wicked part of us that says, hey, 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 yes, please, when temptation comes along. Our sinful nature makes us vulnerable to temptation like soft iron pulled in by a magnet. And so that four-link chain in James chapter 1 is potentially deadly. Temptation leads to desire, which leads to sin, which leads to death. The Bible assures believers that God will keep us following Jesus, but that doesn't mean we can sin safely. Your claim to be a Christian would become questionable if you set your course towards sin and kept going. Temptation is dangerous, which is why it's best avoided. No wonder Jesus tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Here are two illustrations to show how the presence of temptation makes sin more likely. The first illustration is from a, a long conversation I had with my father-in-law, Larry Childs, on a car journey from Birmingham, Alabama to Sampson, Alabama, which is in the south of the state. On the journey, Larry told me about some of the embezzlement cases he's come across over several decades working as a lawyer. He's handled 40 to 50 civil embezzlement cases, which he thinks is probably more than any other lawyer in Alabama. And Larry told me that whenever someone guilty of embezzling funds was asked why they did it, when he asked them why they had done it, they would almost always say, person after person, in all of these 40 or 50 cases, they would almost always say, because it was so easy. They were people whose position in a company gave them access to that company's bank account. And they were able to siphon money from the company bank account to their own account. It was so easy, they said. That was the explanation given to Larry in case after case after case. Their access to money that wasn't their own drew them into a life of crime. In brief, the temptation was there and the temptation led to sin. The other example of the presence of temptation making sin more likely is internet pornography. I'm old enough to remember life before the internet. In those years, people usually obtained pornography by going into a corner store and reaching up to the top shelf of the magazine stands. That was a law in Britain. Pornographic magazines had to be kept on the top shelf to keep them away from children. 
after stretching up to the top shelf to pull down a magazine, hoping no one had seen them. The person wanting to obtain pornography would then need to put the magazine down in front of a cashier, a regular person, and hand over money to get the magazine. It was a chore. It was something a person had to put on their to-do list. And there was a huge potential for public shame in the experience. Nowadays, pornography can be obtained by entering a few search terms into the internet. It can be accessed in secret and for free. In 2015, researchers at Brigham Young University analysed data from the General Social Survey to find out whether the greater availability of pornography had in fact led to more people looking at pornography. The researchers concluded, quote, a look at shifting behaviours from 1973 to 2012 finds porn viewership has increased substantially. Children born in the 1980s onward are the first to grow up in a world where they have access to the internet beginning in their teenage years, and this early exposure and access to internet pornography may be the primary driver of this increase. And that's what we would expect, I think. And sober academic research confirms it. Temptation is difficult for people to resist. It often leads to sin. When temptation jumped from the magazine rack in the corner store onto everybody's personal computer, more people sinned. When temptation is close at hand, it makes sin more likely. That's why Jesus tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation. It's sensible to ask God to minimize your encounters with it. Now, throughout our time in the Lord's Prayer, we've seen that each petition sort of boomerangs back onto the person praying it. Hallowed be your name. Boomerangs back. Am I doing things like supporting missionary outreach that will lead to more people treating God's name as sacred? Your kingdom come. Am I getting ready for the coming kingdom of God? Your will be done. Am I doing God's will in my life? Give us this day our daily bread. Do I proudly think of myself as the source of all the good things in my life, such as daily food? Or do I acknowledge that all good things come from God? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We can't ask God to forgive us, Jesus says, unless we ourselves are willing to forgive. The sixth petition, like all those others, boomerangs back onto the person praying it. You can't pray, lead us not into temptation sincerely, and then put yourself right in the flight path of a temptation that you don't need to face. The Christian writer David Mathis explains the point like this. When we pray against temptation, we begin the process of seeking to avoid it. And in doing so, we become a means by which God answers our prayer. End quote. Are there avoidable temptations in your life? If so, avoid them. 
the closer you get to temptation, the closer you get to potential disaster. To pray the Lord's Prayer sincerely, we need to live out the Lord's Prayer in our lives. Well, let's now move on to the second part of the sermon. We've thought about the first kind of divine intervention, avoidance. The second kind of divine intervention is deliverance. Deliverance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As I said earlier, it's impossible to avoid temptation completely in this fallen world. The second part of the sixth petition echoes the first part. It's another way of saying the first part, deliver us from the evil one. But it also deals with situations where we're in the grip of temptation. We feel its power over us and we're on the brink of sinning, but we haven't yet been pulled over the edge. In such situations, we can pray. We must pray. And our almighty God has the power to deliver us. Before we think about how in practice God delivers people from sin in those situations, we need to get a sense of the scale of the challenge. Jesus says, deliver us from the evil one. He's talking about our opponent, the devil. The devil is a personal spiritual being who knows our weaknesses. There's a book called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, which is written from the devil's perspective, or from two of the devil's lieutenants, from their perspective. And uh, it explores just how cleverly the devil exploits our weaknesses. If you take God out of the equation, the devil is more powerful than you are. He knows how to gain the upper hand over you. It is humbling to admit to yourself that you can't outfight the devil in your own strength. We like to think we can. We like to think the tempter's methods won't work on us. It's not true. Our only hope is divine deliverance. When God delivers us, we shouldn't expect to be passive in that process. Let go and let God is not a Bible verse anywhere, and it's not a biblical principle. We need to be open to the different ways in which God delivers his people from sin so that we can cooperate with that deliverance. The power of the Holy Spirit and the life of a Christian is very much like the cooperation between parent and child that you see when a child is learning how to ride a bike. The parent has a hand on the child's back and a, a hand on the bicycle, but the child is cooperating. The child is pedaling and trying to stay balanced. We heard a memorable example of divine deliverance with human cooperation in our first Bible reading this morning. David was on his way to murder all of the men in the household of Nabal. That was David's terrible overreaction to Nabal's refusal to feed David's troops. David even went so far as to say, just before our, uh, the passage in our first Bible reading, David says, May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, 
if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to Nabal. Then David runs into Abigail, who has come out from Nabal's household, bearing 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayers of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs. And as we heard in our first Bible reading, Abigail persuades David not to go through with his murderous plan. Now, both Abigail and David attribute her mediation, her successful mediation, to God. When Abigail sees that David has permitted her to speak and is receiving her warmly, she says, The Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. And when David replies, he similarly says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. They both give the credit to God. They both recognize that Abigail's involvement was God's means of delivering David from, in Abigail's words, the staggering burden of needless bloodshed. But David cooperated with that divine deliverance, Abigail stopping him in his path. David cooperated. He listened. And he responded. Now, I could be wrong. It's always risky to make predictions. But my guess is that here in Manhattan, God won't deliver you from sin by sending a woman to meet you bearing 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayers of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs. Like I say, I might be wrong. But in all likelihood, God will use different means of deliverance. But when we pray, deliver us from the evil one, we should expect divine deliverance and we should be prepared to cooperate with it. It might be a change of situation. If you're in the grip of temptation, could you go to another place where that temptation will be less intense? Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife. He, he changed his location. Another means of deliverance is to change your mental focus. Reading the Bible is a powerful way to switch your focus onto Jesus. Focusing on Jesus, saying to him, Lord, I love you. and I want to please you can restore us to our right mind. Christian community can be another means of deliverance. You could text a friend and ask them to pray for you. Or you could call a Christian friend or meet up with a Christian friend and get them to be your personal Abigail, if you see what I mean. If no means of deliverance seems to be available, keep praying. Keep praying. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Those are promises you could claim 
You can hold God to his word. Say to him, you said this in Psalm 46. Would it be true for me now? You said this in 1 Corinthians 10. Please fulfill that promise now in my experience. Hold God to his word. We can know for sure that God wants to deliver us from evil because that is what he sent his only son to do. Galatians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. God wants to deliver us from evil. He sent his son to deliver us from this present evil age according to Galatians 1. Colossians chapter 1 says something similar. The Father has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and brought us to the kingdom of the Son he loves. God has already delivered us from evil at the cost of his own Son's life. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross so that we would be delivered from evil with a deliverance that lasts eternally. When Jesus returns, we'll live with him forever in a new world described in 2 Peter as the home of righteousness. No temptations there. Our small-scale fights against evil take place against that great backdrop. Christ has conquered the evil one. The serpent's head has been crushed. Since God has achieved our large-scale deliverance, how much more can he deliver us from our small-scale struggles with evil in this life? Thanks to Jesus' victorious resurrection and ascension into heaven, we have the Spirit of God living within us. And according to Romans 8 verse 13, we can put misdeeds to death by the Spirit. By the Spirit, it says in Romans 8, verse 13. Thanks to Jesus, we have access to the same divine power that overcame Satan when Jesus died and rose again. Fix your eyes on Jesus' victory because his conquering Spirit dwells within you. There will be defeats along the way. We need to be realistic. The Bible is realistic. But that truth mustn't blind us to the God-given hope of victory over temptation, over evil. Defeat is not inevitable. Listen again as we close to 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're conscious of the many times we have been defeated the many times that we have given in to temptation and sinned. 
Thank you for bringing us here today where we can confess our sin to you and pledge to fight it with your help. Thank you for the large-scale salvation from sin and evil that Jesus has already won for us through his death and resurrection. Thank you for the great hope that gives us of eternal life in your perfect place where we will no longer need to fight against temptation because it will not be present. We pray that you would strengthen us. We pray, Father, that when we next face temptation, you would bring to mind those verses we've been thinking about and this sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And we ask that we would at that time go to you and pray for your help and experience your deliverance. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.